Amari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And we are speaking right now with Dennis Winters, who is an investigator with the Orange County Sheriff's Department's Warrant Bureau. And he is also assigned to the Orange County Sheriff's Department's Judicial Protection Unit. He's been with the department for 14 years. Thank you, Dennis, for joining us. Thank you, Mari, for having me. Well, listen, tell us about the Warrant Bureau. Well, the Warrant Bureau consists of uh, sergeants, investigators, deputies, and professional staff from the Orange County Sheriff's Department. And it's our goal to attempt service of all the warrants assigned to the Orange County Sheriff's Department. We currently have approximately 140,000 active warrants in the system. So as you can see, we're pretty busy. Wow. Yeah, obviously. And uh, of those 140,000 warrants, about 110,000 of them are misdemeanor warrants. About 25,000 are felony warrants. And the other 5,000 are uh, warrants stemming from infractions. We service all of the cities in Orange County. So um, we split the areas up into 12 different areas. And we go and work those areas year-round. Typically takes us about seven months to get through the 12 different areas. So it's a lot of fun. We, uh, we will go out of county uh, on occasion, depending if we have uh, good information as to the whereabouts of the person. And uh, as long as it's not too far, typically just the neighboring counties like Riverside, L.A., San Diego. We also have an investigator assigned to the U.S. Marshals Service. So we'll occasionally work with them. And a lot of their cases are, are higher-profile type cases. Yeah. Such as murders and other violent crimes. So that uh, that's that's a lot of fun, too. Yeah, a little scary, too. It can be. <laughs> we, we get ourselves into some situations that uh, get a little scary, but uh, that's what we signed up to do. Well, well tell us, how, how do you serve a warrant? Well, like any other investigation, we gather uh, as much information as possible about the suspect listed on the warrant. Um, we've got nine professional staff assigned to our team who put together a packet of information, and that information will consist of the California driver's license information, the criminal history record, the local arrest record of the individual that we're looking for. And we'll take that information that's on the individual warrant investigator to go through all that and decipher what address is best for the person we're looking for. Once the investigator determines the best location to look for these people, we'll go out and talk to neighbors, employers. We may even go to the house on, on what we call a ruse and act like we're uh, not Delivery. police officers, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. uh, which is, is interesting sometimes. Right. And uh, so once we determine that the suspect is living there, we'll either, we can serve the warrant at that time, call the team out and, and go to the house and serve the warrant then, or we may make, wait a week, we may wait a couple of days, just depends on whether or not we feel comfortable at the time uh, as far as serving that warrant. In addition to the warrants, obviously, when you're going into people's homes, you, oftentimes we come into, you know, we, we end up seeing new new crimes that are occurring while we're there. Yes. Um, just the other day, while we were uh, arresting a guy, he had a warrant. We arrested him. He had a loaded handgun in his possession. We ended up talking to a uh, another agency here in Orange County because he was a known gang member and found out that, that they were looking for him, that he was a suspect in uh, a murder, and they believed the weapon we found was maybe involved in that murder. Oh, my goodness. So scary work, but very good work. Yeah. Well, just give us the website, and we'll have you back next week to talk more about what you do. Great. The uh, website is 
ocsd.org. If you go on to the uh, e-services section there, you can click on the arrest warrant tab, and uh, you can put people's names in there your own to see if you have a warrant. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. You're wonderful. All right, Mari. Thanks. Talk to you later. Have a good day. Weekly Signals. Join me, Mike Hasper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about protecting privacy, and we're going to be speaking with the president and executive chair of trustee which is the leading privacy trust mark, which drives higher registrations and transactions to comply with complex privacy practices. And, you know, as you surf the Internet and go to different websites, you're going to see that privacy seal. And you know that that is a seal that really uh, helps the company to be compliant with privacy practices and Fran has done a terrific job. Let me tell you, if you don't remember her, we had her on our show before. She's absolutely fabulous. She's done great work. And she has helped to grow trustee, that's T-R-U-S-T-E, since 2001 to certify the privacy practices of over 3,000 websites. Under her leadership, trustee has secured significant investment capital and in 2008, they successfully transformed from a nonprofit industry association to a for-profit business. As president, Fran oversees marketing and policy development, bringing to the table over 15 years of experience building consumer brands and enhancing consumer trust online. And she was notably a founder of Match.com, which everybody thinks is so fabulous. We talked about this last time, but we're going to have to bring it up again because that's, that's such a fun website, one of the very first to be a, a dating website. Fran is brilliant. She holds a BA and an MBA from Stanford University. And in 2009, she won a Stevie Award for Women in Business for Best Executive. As a recognized authority on issues of privacy, security, and trust, Fran has spoken before numerous audiences nationwide, including Congress, the Federal Trade Commission, the U.S. Department of Commerce, and much more. And we are so thrilled that Fran is joining us again. Fran, thanks for joining us. 
Mari, it's always a good time, but I have to tell you, I get so embarrassed with that with that bio. Oh, you're just I'm wonderful. I'm just a gal. You're just a great gal. I'm always thrilled, and I it was so fun. I met you probably oh seven or eight years ago, and it's always such a treat to see you. Thank you for me too. But I have to ask you because Amanda, my assistant, was so intrigued by the fact that you were a founder of Match.com. How fun was that? It was wild. I mean, basically, the time that I was doing Match.com was from late 1994 through about 1998. And sadly, we, we sold it around that time. And uh, But let me tell you what happened. We got a lot of people together, and we really became the brand leader. And it relates to trust because we were only going to get that position if we came out strong and did it differently. And what we decided to do at Match was to target women. And this meant targeting them with marketing, but also making sure that we were addressing their concerns in uh, their in, in interactions with this new medium, the Internet, and with this new medium, online dating, which was really very new, right? And kind of scary, too. Kind of scary. Think, yeah. so, so we started to put our minds... In, in women's minds, and of course I'm a woman, I was married, but still I had a lot of friends who were single and certainly had gone through it and, and did a lot of research. And so, so these are the kinds of things that we did. We tried to make Match.com safe, anonymous, and fun. And the safe thing meant that we um, had a dating counselor and we really made sure that people knew that they were supposed to meet in public spaces. And, you know, we just kind of took that issue head on. And anonymous was sort of that safety issue, too. And um, um, and we got a trustee seal very early when trustee was first launched. And that's how I got to know some of the trustee people. And it just goes to show you never know. That's right. <laughs> so the point is, is that we really targeted to women. So, for example, I had all these engineers, and they'd ask questions about um, – they wanted to do the matching questions. And back then in 1995, you didn't need a whole lot, many, very many questions because there were only so many people online. It was really happening rapidly. But if you put out 100 questions, you wouldn't get any matches. So mm. we started with only a few questions. And one of those questions was weight. And the engineers wanted to put in, you know, um, pound guidelines, you know, <laughs> over, <laughs> and, and you laugh because, you know, I'd kill no him. woman likes that. No way. <laughs> no. What we want is body type. Yes. Right? Right. So those were the kinds of things that affected just not only the, the marketing, which, you know, we made it very friendly and we talked about safety and we talked about fun and, and so on, but we also made it um, in the product. We asked the questions that we thought were important, certainly to both men and women, but in such a way that they would appeal more to women. Right. That was smart. So that was, that was kind of fun. And we cared a lot about trust. And so you had friends over the years that really did get together on Match.com? Oh, I can't go anywhere <laughs> without hearing a story. <laughs> and, is... you know, here's the thing. We... We thought, in a, we thought we were extending personals online, or some people did. Yeah. But really what we were doing is creating a whole new category called online dating. Yes. And in fact, I think it's a whole new, it's a rite of passage now for singles in the United States. Yeah, I and think people don't even think twice about it now. Sure, of and, course. And I have to tell you how many people that I've met who, and I don't know which 
particular online dating they they got together but i've actually been to weddings and people say oh we met online and you know it just it just is interesting well what's gratifying to me there's this youtube phenomenon called do you know or did you know and it's really aimed i think at the junior high and the high school set and it shows all these stats about you know how big china is and how smart the eastern people are you know just all kinds of things right mm-hmm. yeah uh, about the world and how big the world is and how the world is changing. And one of the things that said, one in six couples have met online now. And my younger son looked at me and goes, you had something to do with that. <laughs> oh, isn't that nice that your younger son appreciates his mom? Yeah, it was very nice. Now, this is the one that we've talked about before. How old is he now? My younger son is uh, 16 and my older one is 20. Yep, yep. So, see, it's great when the younger son appreciates you. That's wonderful. So, so you actually met the trustee people while you were working for Match.com. So how did you get into trustee? So fast forward a few years, we had sold Match. I did a couple of other Internet startups, and then I, it was the dot-com bust. And I think most people in the Silicon Valley would agree that that recession felt more like we were in ground zero than this one does. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And... Um, Trustee at the time was a nonprofit and was going through a management transition. And frankly, there weren't a lot of the jobs that I saw that were really interesting. And I've always seen issues of trust and privacy very closely related to the issues of marketing. And I've been a marketer over the years. So it was, um, uh, it was a good choice, never thinking that I'd be here nine years later. And thank God you are, because a lot of marketing people don't even incorporate privacy issues and trust issues into the marketing. They're just out there to market whatever it is, and they don't really incorporate that and put that into the architecture like you feel. Well, I'll tell you what's funny about it, and and this is the pitch that we're telling marketers right now. Privacy can pay off. Yes. So when we put and we do testing, we do A-B tests with websites, and half the people see the trustee trust mark, on their website. Half the people don't. And we have a testing partner, a completely independent third party. The company's name is Amadessa. And they can measure the impact of the seal. Interesting. And everybody has a positive impact. Okay? Yes. So when consumers see that trust mark, they know that trusting means something. Privacy is something that they care about. And they're more likely to transact with a website buy more, provide better information, register, et cetera, when they see the mark. Yes. And so, even if a company has a security mark, yes, consumers know the difference, and it might make sense to have both. That's very interesting that the consumers do know the difference. Huh. I know because... They I mean, might not define it, security right. and privacy, exactly the way that we do. Right. But they know there is something there, and they know that they care about their information being responsibly handled. Yes. So how does trustee define online privacy? And, and, and what role does it yeah, play? Yeah, that's a really good question. In fact, it often gets debated. And I think that privacy can have some nuanced meanings. But the meaning in the industry, and I appreciate your opinion on this too, is basically free from intrusion that you don't expect. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So we feel that the role of a privacy company or a privacy mark is to make sure that there's transparency about the privacy policy, that there's choices about the way your information is being used, 
and that there's accountability. So if there's an issue, you can go back and figure it out yes. and have it resolved. And that's really what we try to deliver for the company on behalf of the consumer or for the consumer on behalf of the company. I think both ways. It does go both ways. It does. So we want to make sure the companies who carry our mark, because you have to earn it, have an accurate privacy policy, that they give consumer the option to make choices about the sharing of their information for marketing purposes, and that they respond to consumer complaints and consumer requests for access and so on. Of course, we look for things like security and other things that are part of the privacy equation. We really focus on transparency, choice, and accountability. And that's so important because sometimes things are so uh, hidden. And I, I think people find out later about something that happened and how their information was sold or shared and then they get very upset about it because they had no idea it came out from left field. So that's, that's wonderful. Right. right. Well, when we spoke in the fall of 2008, which, you know, we've been thrilled to have you on before. This is your third time on, I think. Um, you, talked, you were talking then about you were recently incorporating to a for-profit company after 10 years as a nonprofit. So how has this changed, or what has this done to trustees' development and goals? What's going on? It's been an extremely exciting time. As a nonprofit industry association, we just did not have access to capital and talent that it takes to really be scale to reach the challenge and the opportunity in the marketplace right now. So we took investment capital and became a, a for-profit company, so that we could really focus on developing new tools to monitor websites and our privacy programs, to expand our marketing and our, our reach into small businesses, and to address new challenges such as behavioral advertising and negative option marketing and all these other things that keep on happening. And so since that time, we've introduced a number of new products such as uh, a privacy policy generator and a special seal program for very small companies. That's companies great. from 10 to, you know, um, a few hundred employees with less than revenues less than, let's say, $100 million. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a small company who should have a pri- which should have a privacy uh, statement in the state of California and just as good business practice can go through our privacy policy generator, answer 20 questions, provide contact information, pay us about 500 bucks, but get a very good privacy policy. What we do on the back end is we use the scanning technology to check on some of the elements that they answered, make sure that the company is legitimate, and look for places where they're collecting information and so on. We have a customer service manager who looks over it, makes sure the website is, is all good, and then we, we issue the seal. Yep. And from that point on, the company can enjoy the benefits of having one of the leading trust marks on their website. And you know how important that is. I read somewhere that 80% of all companies in this country are small businesses. So if you're, if you're only able to address the large businesses as a nonprofit and you can't really help these small businesses, then we're, you're really losing 80% of the, uh, the businesses that really need some help. The long tail is really important. 
and consumers need to know that small companies are being responsible. Yes. And uh, I'll tell you, the big companies care about this stuff too, and small companies often want to emulate some of the big companies. So we're excited to say that we've got 40 of the uh, 40% of the top 50 websites, and I just counted we have over 10% of the Fortune 1000. <laughs> and, you know, some of these companies don't really deal with, with consumers, so I think that's a really good number. It is. And people know that, Trustee Mark. I mean, they've seen it. It's, it's in their mind. They see it. They feel better about it. Right. We've done some research. We know consumers know that Trustee is about helping you protect your personal information, um, giving you some choices. You know, consumers use all kinds of different words. What's really exciting, again, is when they see the mark, they're more likely to transact, register, buy more. Let me ask you just one question. Is there ever any uh, problem with someone trying to steal that mark and put it on a fraudulent website? You know, the industry always has the issue that some, um, some bad actors will do anything to kind of get a, a leg up. Yes. Um, so we have that problem. What's really cool is our, our consumers often tell us, and then, of course, we do some crawling and so on to get rid of it. Um, Especially if, if they don't follow what the procedures are for, for a trustee. If, oh, of course not. Yeah. Now, what's funny, I mean, basically they put it on big fishing sites of big companies, and the big right. companies are also working uh, hard to get those sites down. Yes. It, it is a problem to have these fraudsters who are technology equipped to, to do these kinds of things. Let's talk a little bit about privacy. Some people say privacy doesn't even matter today because uh, people will share anything everywhere on the Internet. Uh, some people say privacy is dead. I mean, obviously not you and I, but how do you respond to that? Well, the fact that somebody says it kind of just goes to show how top of mind it is of an issue. <laughs> That's a good answer. And, and uh, honestly, the truth is, is that it depends on probably the definition of privacy. If the definition of privacy somebody's using is keeping all your information to yourself, well, obviously social networking and other um, phenomena that we're all involved with right now, it's not about that. Right. But if it goes back to having control about the uses of your information, then I think privacy is far from dead. Right. And certainly in terms of a topic that consumers care about and government cares about and businesses care about, it's not dead. But it's hard to find another word that really gets to those issues of transparency and accountability and choice. Right. And for now, privacy might be the best we have. Yeah, information privacy, like you talked about, all like the transparency, the accountability. And, and as you said before, it's, it's really encompassing responsible and ethical information handling. Right, but that is not one word. No, it isn't. No, you're right. No, it does. It encompasses so much. So you and I know what information privacy is all about. But, and I think uh, in the gut, people understand that too. Yes. What specifically are the privacy concerns of online consumers today? And, and how has that changed since you've been so involved in the Internet? Well, I think over the years, um, you could see that consumers at the beginning of the Internet age were concerned about providing any sort of financial data. Right, so we got things like SSL from VeriSign and other companies. Right? right, you go down the path, and consumers were concerned about being hacked. Yes, websites being hacked. So you got some sort of maybe network security. So security might have been the the first stage, right? Right. But now where we're at is 
many websites are selling similar products at a similar price, and they're really trying to figure out, well, who should I transact with? Who shall I trust? Yes. With my personal information, because you can exchange two things online easily, and who knows what we'll be exchanging online in the future, but basically it's been money and information. Exactly. And we're about that exchange of information. Mm-hmm. And I think consumers know that they could be spammed, they, their identity, and you would know this well, could be, could be uh, uh, taken, although, as you well know, it doesn't usually happen online. Well, we're, we're seeing more cyber identity. Yeah, we're all sure we are. Yeah, um, yeah. That, um, they're but, but it isn't like what you're talking about. I mean, it can, a lot of this stuff is stolen offline or by big hacking, but there's, there's this insidious stuff that, that you would have hated when you were at Match.com where someone will go on and pretend to be you and then go on Match.com and look for somebody else to, uh, you know, have oh, we a relationship. Oh, we were hard back then. I think it... I think the Match.com experience obviously opened my mind up to some of the nefarious actions people can take. Yes, yeah. That cyber identity theft has become very insidious. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Consumers just don't want to to have their information be abused. And they want to know, even nowadays, about their anonymous information and making sure that they get some, some exchange for that. Yes, so, you know, I know that the companies that get your trustee, that they, they have certain standards that they have to move up to. Let's talk about the companies that have gotten into trouble with privacy. Do any of those come to mind, and what do they do wrong? Well, I think uh, um, Google Buzz is a recent example. And I think they have addressed most of the issues, so I'll say that up front. But what they did, and many people have Google email boxes, they assumed everybody in your email who sent you an email or you sent an email is your friend. Yes. And they just open that up. Well, this gets into the issue of privacy as intrusion or privacy as something unexpected. People did not think that I would not think everybody in my email box is my friend. Not right. only do I have spammers, right. I have people I don't know. I have people I might be evaluating for a job. I have, you know, people a partnership. Yes. There's no way I would expect that my life would be opened up to everybody in my email box. So Google forgot that doing something like that is unexpected. And for that, consumers consider it a privacy intrusion. Exactly. So that, that kind of a thing happened with Facebook, too. When there is with, an assumption, yes, yeah, yeah the yeah. same thing with which Beacon. is why why did Google not know? This is you know kind of beyond me. So I think companies get in trouble when the right hand isn't talking to the left. Yeah, when they get excited about a new product and they launch it without thinking, well, what are this is why I think it's so wonderful that trustee is available to companies because some of them will jump right in saying, look at this great new product we have, let's just launch it. You need to have somebody look at it and say, well, what about how your consumers, your customers are going to feel? The, the, the issue is for many privacy people or lawyers, that they, they don't want to be saying no. Yeah. Okay? They want to support the business objectives. I think if you incorporate trustee into it, you can say yes, and you can have the argument to say building trust will help build this business. Yes, trust is a value added, and, and I think you've shown it so much with some of the studies that you've done that when 
your customers and your consumers trust you, they want to do more business with you. That's what you told us, right? And, and, and it remains to be very, very true. What's fun now is we can really show it more in dollars and cents. Right, right. And I think it was funny you said that Google assumed and Facebook assumed that you'd want to share. Well, you, you know, you know that old saying, if you yeah. assume, you know, A-S-S-U-M-E. You That's see, right. that, and so whenever I assume, I'm always making a mistake. So never assume without first inquiring, right? Right. And, you know, I think, uh, I think big companies and small companies have to, have to be careful. Yes, so, so what else, what do small and big companies have to do to get that trust seal? You said it symbolizes privacy and you've, ex, you know, explained that as transparency, accountability, choice, all those good things. So what exactly are the steps that if we have business people driving by who have websites, we have uh, students on campus who may be thinking of starting a business so, and we have people all across the country and privacy officers. So, so what are the steps to become a trust, to get that trustee seal? So, first of all, if they're a small company, they can come in and, and answer the questionnaire. questionnaire. Right. We'll give you the, the privacy policy. We'll do a scan. Um, you, you know, sign a contract basically online and boom, you have it. Okay. Now, that's... Contracts going to tell you you can't share with information without having consent, right? And you better have some security, and you bet you know live up, and you're willing to work with us to resolve complaints by consumers. So it's not just answer the questions, get it. Also live up to some standards that are pragmatic and good for you. And you have a contract, so you have to be able to get that seal. You have to be accountable to that contract. You have to be accountable. Yes, exactly. Yes. And occasionally, you know, we pull the sale if we see that there's an issue. And occasionally we throw out a company because they don't want to fix the issue. Right. So you must get complaints, right? People have the ability to come in because they know that you have that seal, that you have your watchdog program. How does that work? Yeah, so consumers could click on the seal. We ask them to try to resolve it with the company. Some of them do, some of them don't. And... Um, they go to, uh, and, and they fill out a form and tell us what's going on, and we have people here who work through the process. We resolve almost all the complaints. Many times they're really about getting access to the information or closing down their account or some such thing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's fun is when you click on the trustee seal now, that's where you can go ahead from a website where you can go ahead and lodge the complaint. But you can also say that you endorse the privacy practices of the website by clicking on an up-thumb graphic. Oh, cute. And we just started that last August, trying to get into a little bit of the crowdsourcing thing. And we're seeing so many companies get up-thumbs more than they ever expected, which is a good way for consumers to say, hey, yeah, I can, I can vote with a complaint. Or I can say, yeah. And the, the companies really love to see that consumers are interacting on the validation page and endorsing the privacy commitment they've made. So do you think that there are, you know, we always hear about these clicking problems. Do you think that there are companies no, that, we no? Don't think so. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right, this so. This is um, going to get you more, uh, more pay or anything like that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, there's, there's no uh, there, there's financial no remuneration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so, and we have some anti, um, you know, fraud things. Yeah. Now, what kinds of complaints are you getting? 
Uh, yeah, mostly they're trying to get access to their information or um, um, they feel that maybe they got spammed. Uh-huh. Might be confused about some of the choices in the social network, that kind of thing. Do you get a lot of complaints? About 10000 a year, and it's going up because we're being more prominent. Uh-huh. So you act somewhat like an ombudsman. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you offer many different privacy seals. What, what are the, what's the difference between all the privacy seals well, that you have? Well, you know, we really offer the trustee web privacy seal, and then we have some things that are additional services. And the two or three most important are we have a EU safe harbor. So mm-hmm. we're a safe harbor for exchange of information with the European Union, uh-huh. and some companies need that. Yes. We have a kids seal for websites, and there's some additional requirements in terms of permission if your website is targeting children under 13. Right. So you're, you're compliant with COPA. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and we're a safe harbor for that. We also uh, do that international. So if you're a big multinational company, you can have the trustee seal and get the complaints in any language across the globe, 33 languages, I think. So I guess I shouldn't say any, but the vast majority. And um, we've gotten some extensions. So, for example, we can take a look at your vendor um, privacy program, and we can take and we can help you address behavioral advertising. Hmm. We are speaking with Fran Mayer, and I've known her for years and admired her, and she is just wonderful. She's the president and executive chair of Trustee, and I'm sure you've seen that seal, T-R-U-S-T-E, and that seal is all over the Internet. And she's helped this company to grow to certify the privacy practices of over 3,000 websites. And we all get a kick out of the fact that she was one of the founders of Match.com. So, Fran, let's, and I should also say that you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net, and you're listening to Privacy Piracy, and I'm the host, Mari Frank. So we're talking about privacy seals. So if people are driving by right now, Fran, how do they know which seal to get? I mean, how do they compare them? You've got VeriSign, you've got the Better Business Bureau, you've got Trustee, um, what what should online what should business owners really be looking for? Well, you know, we've had the um, pleasure of doing a, a fair bit of research and talking to some others in the industry. And I would say right now that there's really a concentration of security related seals, and that would be Verisign, Secured, Maxi, Secure. Those are the dominant ones, but there's a, a few others in that space. And it probably doesn't make sense for a company to have more than one of those security ones. Right. Research shows that a security one with trustee, which is privacy, yeah. one plus one is greater than two. Right, right. The other ones are maybe more related to shopping. I think BBB is very much focused on uh, older brands uh-huh. and offline brands. So, you know, that could be fun. There's also some, you know, some people put that there on Yelp or something like that. So what you want to do is not have wallpaper of seals. That might look like you're working too hard. Yeah. yeah. But pick two or three that are relevant to your customers and make sure they're distinct. Right. Now, where do you see a, a privacy gap online? Here's what I think is emerging is 
When you go to a website nowadays, years ago, it would just be the website. It was a fairly static content was coming from the website owner primarily. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was some advertising. And it has turned into now to be that a large website like a Yahoo or a eBay or a Facebook or certainly Google is really a combination most likely personalized to you of a number of different content tracking and advertising elements, Mm -hmm. some of which are highly interactive, some are just one-way communication, and some of which are, you know, I'm, I'm not judging whether these are all good or bad. I'm right, you're just explaining what But there's just a lot of stuff going on. Right. So I think we're, we're starting to look more and more at those pieces, not just the website, and making sure consumers have some idea of what's going on. And that's a challenge at this point. Oh, it's definitely a challenge. So who needs the privacy help? Is it the consumers that need it? Is it the businesses need it? Who who really needs to be up to speed on this right now? Well, I think that if companies do the right things, and certainly the companies that earn our sale, they should they should feel pretty confident that they're meeting the requirements under the law, that they're doing really good practices, and that consumers will recognize that. Consumers, though, I think do need to think about their choices. So when they go to Facebook or they go to another kind of uh, website, they should really understand what that interaction is all about. You know, Fran, and exercise yeah. their choices. Yeah, you know, you're a mother of a young gentleman, okay, 16 and, what did you say, 19? Yeah, 20 next week. And, oh, like uh, yeah, so, all right, so he's still a teenager, but, they're, you know, we're, we're talking about kids who are, have grown up in the information age, Kids who love to use the social networking, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I, my kids, one is a little older, but my 24-year-old thinks, you know, using this all the time and my assistant. So what about privacy for that age group? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think these guys, uh, and I'm not just talking about my own kids, are more sophisticated than we all think. Yes, from the very early ages, they figured out to have a fake email address when they didn't trust the website, and they had to provide some information. Certainly by the time they were 12, they knew how to lie about their age. <laughs> of course, yes. right? right? But you're not going to be able to – they're very adept on any of the mobile applications and, and, and devices and so on. So you're not going to be able to shut these kids out. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think, frankly, they learn a little bit by example. Uh, I'm a proponent of social networking making the settings for the teens perhaps default to the most private settings. Right, and then they would have to change it to more right. open if they choose, and then it, hopefully they would at least think about why they're making those changes. Right, right. Yes. I yeah. do think that to some extent... They're all going to give each other a pass 20 years from now in the professional environment for the things that they did when they were under 18. I think they're going to have to. They're going to have to, (laughs) right? I don't think anybody, well, maybe. But they're all going to have to be careful about this. And I think that that 
the level of transparency about, for example, on Facebook, you are who you are for the most part, does help make people think closely about what they're saying. Now, kids, teenage, you know, you've heard everything about the teenage brain. So let's help them protect themselves a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, they say that the brain does not really solidify or it can't really ascertain all of these social issues till they're 24. I just had Oh, no, don't scare me. Yeah, I'm telling you. And and you know what? When my daughter turned 24, it was like a miraculous change. Yeah, well. You know, she's 24 now. But I have to tell you, yeah, I was reading by these neurologists that I just had on my show recently, and they were talking about the brain really does not get to the level where that they have the the clear thinking that they can discern correctly (laughs) until they're 24 years old. So, but you're almost there with your oldest. Yeah, and, and he's very good, and, and there's no way that he would let me get involved in his uh, choices, but I think he's very adept about making them. Yeah, yeah. So how about other consumers? Like, you know, the older consumers who didn't grow up with the Internet. What about them? What about their beliefs about privacy? What are you? What kinds of things are you seeing with people that are middle and maybe the older generation? Yeah, you know, I think it's really crossing the gamut. So from what I've seen right now is um, uh, many older people, my parents' generation, really embracing computers and email and sharing information and even social networks. At the same time, I know some people, in fact, my mom and my dad are completely opposite. My dad's all over Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) All over, you know, the iPhone and new apps and all kinds of stuff. And my mom, she just loves me to, you know, what I do is I load books on her iPod. Oh, that makes her happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know that we can make these generalizations. Yes. I mean, you just think about it. Um, social networking is still very, very new. Mm-hmm. You know, the sophisticated tools that we have now on, on searching and different kinds of ways of searching is relatively new. I'm looking at video on the Internet, and it's way beyond where, you know, back in 1995, I ever expected it to be. It's just so quickly, going so quickly, isn't it, Fran? I mean, could you ever imagine, even when you started back with Match.com, that that the whole Internet life would be so different and we would have it on every device that we have that we can carry with us anywhere? Yeah, I have an iPad. Oh, you and, do? You and did get the iPad. It's great fun, Mari. And, you know, I'm thinking about the privacy implications there, too, because, you know, for the most part, though, you can go to websites on the iPad and see the privacy policies and so on. Right. But, my God, I'm getting wireless streaming movies on a, you know, device that's that small, and, wow. And you're know? downloading books and Oh, yeah, the whole everything. thing. Everything, yeah. And, yeah. and I, you know, I think the way that we're consuming information and learning is changing. And it's been a very exciting 15 years in this career. And it's never the same. <laughs> right. You can so never get bored, Fran. The internet Fran. changes and makes changes to challenges on building trust. And hopefully trustee will keep up with those things. We are speaking with Fran Mayer, who is the president and executive chair of trustee. And I'm sure you've seen that seal all over the place. They're very well respected. And Fran personally has helped Grow Trustee to certify the privacy practices of over 3,000 websites. And she was one of the founders 
of Match.com, and she oversees marketing and policy development, and she just brings, you know, 15, over 15 years of experience to all of this, and she holds an MBA and a BA from Stanford University. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Now, Fran, we've talked last time, and it's even a bigger issue now, about behavioral advertising. So tell us, what's going on with behavioral uh, advertising? How's it evolved, and what's, what's happening? So behavioral advertising of one kind or another has been around for a very long time. And this is really the practice where ad networks drop a cookie on your computer on web, one website, and from that they can read where you've been on the Internet and make some inferences about your activity and what your interests are and serve an ad accordingly. Or they can make some inferences about your age or where you live and, again, target ads accordingly to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really not taking taking your personal information. If they were, I think that would be a very different problem. But it is using your information in a way that some consumers feel is very, very unfair or intrusive. Right. And so the FTC and industry have been talking about this for a long time. And the truth is is that consumers do get more relevant ads. They are more likely to click through or transact because of that relevancy. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if we didn't get those more relevant ads, we'd be getting a lot of Viagra ads. <laughs> I get those. Why do I get those, Fran? Right. I, well, you look at your cookie settings. <laughs> no, I mean, so, I get those on emails. Because, I mean, in a way, there's so much advertising that not everything that you see online is targeted. No. Oftentimes, it's, it's a function of the content that you're looking at. Right. Right, and so on. So what happens? What happens is, and, and this happens on Facebook, this happened to me on Facebook, and I'm on Facebook, I know Facebook knows my age, so, so you know, there's an ad that says, are you 47 and overweight? <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to just slap your computer? <laughs> yeah, of course. Now, frankly, part of that was demographic, and I was on Facebook, I know Facebook knows my age, so fine. Part of it was an inference. Right? I would be very angry if I got that. So fortunately on Facebook, you could say, no, you don't like this ad. But the point is is that when an ad gets a little bit too intrusive, there's the creepy factor. It is a creepy factor. Big brother watching. Consumers (laughs) who might not be as thoughtful about this as I am can be extremely offended, not just a little bit peeved. Yes. Right? Right. And uh, so, so my point here is that Industry and government are really saying, let's have some standards here. So, you know, avoid the creepy factor. Avoid targeting unsensitive information. But more than that, go back to those tenets that you and I talked about at the beginning of the show. Talk about transparency, accountability, and control. So, and give people a chance to opt out of these things and change their preferences and opt back in or at least educate them so that they have some knowledge about what's going on. So what is your suggestion for businesses when it comes to behavioral or target marketing? So we feel that one of the things that we'd like to do is help enable businesses to do relevant targeted marketing, but do it in such a way that they maintain the consumer trust. And so what we offer websites, and it's in pilot mode right now, 
is a way that they can deliver those choices to consumers very easily through the trustee mark. So what does that mean? So, so does a trustee go, go? They'll see the mark on a website, right? Our mark. It might say something like your info and ads, and you can click on that and see a um, some a widget will open up and tell you about the ads and give you a window where you can select which ad networks, no ad networks, all the ad networks that you want to work with. Right. So do you have suggestions for businesses now about what is um, a privacy enhancement with regard to target marketing? Or do you have suggestions for what they need to think about when they're working with their marketing department about how they should be, you know, uh, offering marketing? So, so there's a lot of guidelines right now, and they really should be looking at the guidelines from the FTC about behavioral advertising. Okay. Okay. In terms of uh, privacy issues in general, yes, um, they could come to us. They could also go to their legal counsel. We're finding that too many companies cut and paste somebody else's, so yep. I don't recommend that. Exactly. That's the cheap and dirty way, right. but it could catch up to you. Right. Um, try and put yourself in the shoes of your consumers mm-hmm. and use that as a guide to what is good and ethical practices. Mm-hmm. So and, do you, and make privacy work hard for you. And what advice do you have for consumers with regard to behavioral advertising? Um, consumers ought to reflect upon how much they value advertising that is relevant to them. Mm-hmm. And most consumers, when they think about it, do like relevant advertising. They should look out for the creepy ones and complain. Yeah. They should be careful with who they share their information with in general and exercise their choices. And when they're presented with some options and they know their comfort level, they ought to exercise them. So, Fran, what about the mobile space? We were talking just a few minutes ago that you are uh, an early iPad uh, purchaser, (laughs) which I was thinking of doing. I wanted to go and see it myself. And um, what about the mobile space? What do, what do the listeners need to know about the mobile privacy? That's a whole nother ball of wax, isn't it? Well, it is and it isn't. Many of the mobile applications are really just extensions of the websites. So you what do, yeah. So, so, so there's differences in form factor. Okay. Right? So, you know, big, long legalese privacy policy is probably something you want to see. Um. And maybe it would be difficult to interact with, although, my goodness, on the iPad it wouldn't be a problem, but on an iPhone or a BlackBerry it might very well be. Right. There's some platform issues. So is that iPhone or BlackBerry or whatever um, uh, telecommunication service you're on, um, are they mindful of your privacy? Mm-hmm. Location is probably the big thing, the location yes. tracking. Yes. And, you know, we're advocating that if you're going to be tracked on any sort of location basis, or marketed to or targeted on, that ought to be an opt-in. And fortunately, Apple and other companies in the space have made it so, that when you go to an application that is uh, asking for your location, and it could be for very good reasons, like, you know, what is the, the nearest restaurant? Theater, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm always looking, if I'm somewhere out of town, I go, what's, what's oh the goodness, nearest restaurant? And, and, and yeah. um, 
the travel sites all the time, and it's wonderful. Okay, what's what's three stars near here? Right, so, right. Where's a gas station? They always ask. <laughs> right. Right, they always say, ask, do you want to share your information? Yeah, yeah. And that's really, really critical. Yes. So form factor and location are the biggest things. Now, others might say, what about data retention? What about this and that? To me, those things are all part of the overall privacy program and not really distinct in a mobile environment. Right. But what about trustee? You guys have gotten into so many different areas. Have you gotten into the mobile space? We're, we're certainly developing some extensions into the mobile area. Absolutely. So what kind of things are you planning on doing? Well, we're, again, planning on helping our clients take advantage of that better. Right. Okay, so we're looking at uh, a reduced size seal that makes sense in, in a mobile, you know, environment. Right. We're looking at a short-form privacy policy that makes sense in a mobile environment. Right. And we're looking at certifying or verifying the platforms to make sure that the location data is, is well, well cared for, that the consent is right there. Right. You know, you have a great website, and I wanted you to kind of share some of the things on there because I don't think that consumers really know that there's a lot on your website, even for consumers. Yes, there is. And, in fact, we'll be launching a new library to give consumers some more information or a knowledge area. Um, We give some consumers some information about different ways of filing complaints with us, about finding trusted sites, about keeping their, their information safe online. Um, I think it's fun for consumers to see what kind of hurdles companies have to go through to get the trustee seal because that way they'll know whether or not to trust it. Exactly. We have a real fun video that's aimed at the small business market right now. Hmm. And so they can just go to trustee.com and click on the various areas to see. Yeah, the small business area. If they want to see the video, they can see some of our announcements and uh, meet the team. Terrific. So much has changed in the privacy space in, in the last 10 years since you've been involved with trustee. So what do you see coming on in the next 10 years? Oh, Mari, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Am I going to have a chip implanted? Oh, gosh. Are you going to allow that? I, I ha- very well might, but, you know, I'm the least <laughs> private privacy person I know. My dog has it, and I'm glad. But right. um, well, There I, you go. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to know, right? All we can say is that I think um, the Internet and the information economy has fundamentally changed the way that we transact and live and and has fundamentally changed community. And I think how this might open up innovation and creativity and acceleration can be very, very exciting. Well, I think I know you're going to be part of that, and I know you're going to still continue to lead and be our fearless woman leader and uh, do great things. So we thank you so much for joining us, Fran. You're terrific. Thank you, And we're going to look at trustee.com. That's T-R-U-S-T-E dot com. And look at all the great things we have. And those people who are driving by, who are businesses, definitely take advantage of the great opportunities for small, medium-sized businesses, and, of course, large businesses. And consumers learn from Fran because she knows what she's doing. And we will and we'll have you. you back again, Fran. Thank you so much. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. You, bye-bye. You've been listening to Fran Meyer on KUCI. She is the president and executive chair of Trustee. 
And you've been listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org in the net. Join us every Monday from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And you can write us emails about what you want to know about. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Frank host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every morning every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips, and we're welcoming back Lieutenant Mark Levy, who is the Chief of Police Services for the beautiful city of Dana Point, and he is the commander of the Orange County Sheriff's Department mounted unit he's been with the department for 24 years thanks for coming back mark well thank you for having me back well we talked about all the great beautiful city of dana point and hide it lock it or lose it.org but now let's talk about the mounted enforcement unit tell us about that mounted enforcement unit what is it what makes it unique well, the sheriff's uh, department has had a mounted enforcement unit uh, probably for well over 50 years. Uh, the unit itself is made up of deputy sheriffs. Uh, we have uh, active deputies who are uh, currently in the employ of the sheriff's department, and we also have reserve deputies who serve on our uh, on our mounted enforcement unit. Are the horses considered deputies? Uh, they are. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sometimes do more, certainly more work than the deputies on occasion. Uh, they serve us very, very well, but they're they're more of a uh, a vehicle than an actual deputy. Well, well, tell us some about the events that you use these these uh, horses in the mounted police unit. Uh, the mounted enforcement unit does a wide variety of diff- of functions. Uh, we provide uh, color guard at parades. Uh, we are at most of our formal functions with the Sheriff's Department, Peace Officer Memorial, uh, Medal of Valor, et cetera. We, uh, we have a presence in the parks. Uh, the county has a number of parks, uh, including Miles Square Park, uh, all of our beaches, uh, Doheny State Park. We provide service there on the 4th of July. Uh, the horses work a regular patrol function on those occasions. They're out there observing. And don't you do something in San Juan as well? Yes, we participate in the Swallows Day Parade uh, annually. Uh, That's one of our biggest functions. Uh, Almost every member of our unit participates in the parade. Uh, We we not only uh, participate in the parade itself, but we do provide a lot of the actual patrol uh, units for that day simply because of the congestion and the location, and that's that's where the horses are of great value to us. They're they're able to go into sensitive areas and areas that are not accessible to a a regular patrol unit, and uh, they also provide a uh, a real great platform on the rare occasion uh, when we do need to go out and respond to any sort of civil disturbance or uh, groups gathering that we need to 
uh, control or, in fact, sometimes disperse. And, and I know you use them for search and rescue, too. Absolutely. They, so they are valuable. I've seen them, and they are gorgeous horses, and I know you guys take good care of them, and I know that you know, each individual deputy has to take you know, a financial responsibility and, and take care of them. Is that correct? Absolutely. It, uh, all of our deputies are assigned as a collateral duty. So it's really their devotion to the horses and to the idea of a mounted enforcement unit that makes this happen. Uh, without their, their dedication and the commitment they give us from both their time uh, and, and sometimes money and certainly in the use of their horses, uh, we would we would not be able to provide this uh, to the public. Well, thank you so much. We think that you and your home mounted police enforcement unit is terrific. Thank you, Lieutenant Mark Levy, and we will have you back again next year. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you.